Welcome to Stories with Shrinks, a podcast where we over-psychoanalyze characters from your favorite movies, TV, and media. I'm Tyler, he, his, him. I'm Jennifer, she, her, hers. And my friends, today, we keep spooky season alive, even though it's not quite spooky season anymore when you're hearing this. It's November, but... We're keeping it spooky here. Spooky season lives on in my heart year-round anyway, so. Damn straight. Hell yeah. So we are continuing that feel, that vibe, with a little trip through, you know, a little road trip through America, going place to place, talking to people, seeing if they've got, you know, problems with supernatural entities of any kind. Talking to people, hunting things. Talking to people, hunting things, singing Eye of the Tiger. That's right. You guessed it. We are talking about everyone's favorite CW show, Supernatural. That's it. That's all. That's all I got for you. That's what we're doing. (laughs) I was like, that's Uh, a pretty big leap. Everyone's favorite CW show, Supernatural. There's lots of bad, good (laughs) CW shows. (laughs) That's true. Your favorite and mine, Supernatural. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a it's a CW show that we haven't covered here before, so here we are. With that said, I enjoy Supernatural a lot. Yeah, it's a good time. There's some problematic stuff there at the end, but other than that, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, looking at a show that started in 2005 and then went all the way until 2019, like... <laughs> Shoot it up! Maybe. Probably not! <laughs> But uh, uh, you'll find out my fun. opinion when we get to my character on how far this show should have gone. It's well, like the originally it wasn't meant to last that long. They had a distinct no. story arc that was like I think four to five seasons, and then it yes. was, but the fans kept it alive. Which I can say the fan following for Supernatural is one of the like most heartwarming and like loving and mental health aware and advocacy groups that I've seen come out of a TV show. Um, The fandom around Supernatural is really, really cool. So, Well, there you go. But before we get our show on the road, so to speak, uh, we've got a get to know you question. So, Jen. Yes. Supernatural deals with two brothers, just two brothers traveling the road, hunting their two brothers. Um, that's a Rick and Morty reference for, you know, the five of you that listen. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're just two brothers and they go around hunting different creatures from from folklore, um, American, specifically American folklore uh, for the first few seasons here, which is honestly, in my opinion, the real seasons of the show. Um, come at me, get in the comments. It's fine. Uh, and so my question question to you is based on the characters from both American folklore and native uh, folklore I think also takes some uh, mythology from some of these creatures what do you think is the scariest thing to go hunt in Supernatural in Supernatural yeah if you were like a hunter you were out there what would you be most afraid of dealing with okay so I was originally Rewatching a little bit of it when I was decorating for Halloween because we wanted mm-hmm. something spooky but not something scary. Uh, mm-hmm. My dog doesn't do scary well on TV. We didn't want her barking the whole time. <laughs> but 
Um, so I'm just going off of like the first 12 episodes of yeah. Lore. Um, yeah. In the children ghost. Mm. Children ghosties. And then also like doll ghosties. Haunted doll ghosties. Mm. Like I get it. The creatures, the monsters, like the, the those are scaries, but it's more like the creep factor of like like the children ghosts are haunting the house because their mother drowned them in the bathtub no thank you like give me a monster that i could just easily like see shoot kill (laughs) yeah i think that that might be the thing that makes the ghosts scary is that it's like there's specific things you've got to do to like the remains like Mm -hmm. it's like a whole ritual Versus just like that thing, you shoot that thing with a silver bullet and then it's right. dead. <laughs> um, they also did like a shape shifting mm-hmm. early on. That was kind of creepy and scary. Cause again, it's like, is that your person or is that a person trying to kill you looked like the person you love? Yes. So that uh, that is, I think the thing that I was referencing from native folklore or native mm-hmm. mythology, which is um, what are called skin changers, uh, which, yeah. That I think is the creepy thing. And like, you hear stories like that on the internet all the time of like, I, you know, I heard my mom call me from down the hall, but when I went into the hallway, I saw my mom peeking out from behind the bathroom going, don't go down there. I didn't call you, Mm -hmm. you know, like stuff like that, where it's like somebody has replaced somebody that you love and trust. And then they betray you. They get you. I think is kind of creepy. Or if you want to kill them, you have to kill somebody who looks like somebody that you love and trust, which is also difficult to do. I was gonna make a really mean comment. It's like someone you love and looks like someone you love and trust betrays you. I was like, ain't that life? <laughs> Dang. <laughs> and that Dang. was gonna be my joke answer that like the scariest thing they fight is their own feelings. <laughs> That's true. And I can't fight these feelings anymore. So mm-hmm. but with that being said, I think we've made enough jokes at ex- at the expense <laughs> of this show already. Uh so Jen, I believe that you have a new client. I do have a new client. And, you know, caveat, I love this show. It's so bad. It's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also so good. And then it also goes bad. And then it's also so good. <laughs> um, but, uh, yes, I do have a new client. Uh, this is a, a female in her mid to late 20s. Identifies as a lesbian and cisgender. And her name is Charlie Bradbury. She is currently um, in transition of occupation. She was working as an IT employee and transitioning into possibly a new career path, but does a lot of hacking and computer work on the side and has recently experienced um, a lot of different traumatic ex- like events, um, a lot of near-death experiences, a couple kidnappings, and uh, possibly the loss of her mother, who she didn't quite know was around, um, and is kind of coming in, not so much for trauma work, but coming in for the purpose of figuring out what her next steps are and figuring out what her greater purpose is and kind of this idea of a quest uh, that she's seeking to find the meaning in her life and do something bigger than than what she has been doing. And I mean, there is trauma and loss work within this, but the idea of honoring your client of where they're at and not just being like, well, you have trauma in your history. So let's talk about that one. She might be good on that. She might have 
come to her own meaning and conclusions about the events that have happened in her life. The one example I like to talk to clients about this kind of work is, and this was an example that we learned in school, but if you if picture your life as like a house and we're on the outside of the house looking through different windows and uh, sometimes when you look through one window of the house, you can only see the living room. And so you go around the house and you might see the kitchen and the living room. So even if we're just talking about remodeling the kitchen, we might have to talk about that view of the living room as well. So yes, we might be talking about your next phase of life and purpose and this lack of feeling like she has a lack of drive or knowledge of what she wants to do next. And this, again, idea of seeking that ultimate quest that gives her purpose. We might have to talk a little bit about that trauma because it seems like that's the root of it, of you've had these things happen to you and you are experiencing, you know, memories or thoughts about those, those traumatic events. But it also seems like they awoken a side of you of realizing that there's something bigger in this world for you than just sitting behind the computer screen. And for Charlie, leaning into her fandom and leading into her geekier side that she connects to using those stories and metaphors to talk about the hero's journey and you know she would probably say like I felt like I had a call for an adventure but I didn't know where the next adventure was because when you realize how big the world is and when you realize how much of the world is out of our control going back to everyday life seems so small and it seems like I'm not doing enough. And yes, I can hack into these computer systems and transfer money to different charity organizations, which we would probably talk about the criminality of that too and making sure that like she's not getting herself into any legal trouble and spend a second on that. But again, just giving her that next step conversation and giving her an opportunity to explore what the hero's journey of her life looks like and who are the people in her life that have helped call her on this next phase of what she wants to do. And I feel like for Charlie, a part of this would also be themes of connection and lack of personal connections. And she's had to kind of separate herself from a lot of her community lately and has come back after her experiences at a, at a company and re-establishing those connections because even within the classic heroes journey framework after the call for adventure you gather your people you know almost every major hero story that we would talk about from star wars to lord of the rings and these are all things she references in supernatural so they're like in canon which is awesome uh, and she can use those metaphors of like, well, who is your um, Sam? Who is your Hermione? And she really connects to the character Hermione and talks about how she was the hero of Harry Potter more than she gets credit for, for her contributions to all of it. And giving her that opportunity to see herself more than just a sidekick in the story, but the hero that she wants to be. And what are those attributes she wants to call out for, but also how she can connect to others in the process so she doesn't feel alone and isolated returning back home. And safety, right? We would have that safety conversation of, yes, we're looking for a grand adventure, 
but that doesn't mean we need to go out looking for trouble either and making sure you are doing things safely because I, as a therapist, let's say in the Eastern coastlines, a lot of where supernatural takes place, um, but I wouldn't necessarily know about the supernatural world. I would, I would hope, because let's keep it real. If you're on that side of the supernatural story, things suck a lot. Like I want to be a hunter in supernatural. I just want to live my life. Um, and kind of balancing that conversation with her of like, yeah, it seems like accepting the client where they're at and where they talk about their trauma experiences and the stories that they tell while describing their trauma experiences while also helping her realize that we don't want to go seeking trouble and making sure that this isn't like becoming addicted to the adrenaline rush of putting yourself in danger and putting yourself like in situations that you could get hurt in and finding that safety balance of like, hey, if you're going to go out and like, quote unquote, fight crime, like it kind of sounds like you want to do, that's really dangerous. And there are systems in play that are not the most amazing at times, but that are designed to keep us safe. <laughs> and in the world of supernatural, they're not always the best either. Um, but they're really bad at reading IDs of people and like realizing forgeries. But uh, again, wanting to have that dialogue with her. And this is a dialogue in real life that I have with a lot of female clients of like how to keep ourselves safe in the world and how to make sure that we are aware of our surroundings, especially if we feel like we are in a situation where we are more inclined to be in danger. Uh, but with her, again, it would be a lot of identity formation in this later phase of life and giving her a place to talk about family and connection and what her purpose in all of this is and how she can use her skill sets as a computer IT hacker gamer to find a purpose in her career. Um, if this was just career counseling, it would be like, so what are your skills? Great. How are they aligned with your interests? Are they, are they not? Do we have interests that we want to bring into our career that we not necessarily have skills for yet? And if so, how do we acquire those skills? And how can we find a job or career path that align with these different needs? Um, if she is interested in being a part of something quote unquote bigger and helping others and saving people and you have all this awesome IT support, let's go find careers that can help with that. Um, she might be leaning towards becoming a hunter, um, but you know, I in in my language of things, it might be like, what would it look like diving into like the world of like FBI in criminal investigation, police work on the computer end of things, and allowing her to have that exploration piece as well. But I feel like for Charlie, there would be a bit of yes, trauma focused work. But it would mostly be that identity exploration, who she is, how we can use her language and her interests to kind of get her into this next phase of her life and hopefully keep her, keep her safe. Ho hopefully she doesn't end up in too much trouble. No, no, she'll be fine. I think she'll be fine. I think she'll, she'll be, be fine. great. 
Yeah. She's also really obsessed with the the Wizard of Oz. So mm. we use that a lot in our dialogues. Yeah. There you <laughs> That's go. That's a reference, Tyler, if you haven't gotten there yes. yet. Yes. <laughs> Okay. But yeah, that's my that's that would be my time with Charlie. Awesome. So a couple follow-up questions. Uh the one we normally always do, I'll save for the end. But the other follow-up question I had was uh in in this particular client's case, you did a lot of the Campbell's uh stages of the hero's journey. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I thought maybe you could speak more to that in reference to like narrative theory and things yeah. like that, as far as like how we apply that in a psychotherapeutic way versus like a literature. You know, absolutely i'm just gonna casually pull up the actual cycle of yeah. the image on my computer so i don't sound stupid while talking about this Reference i do know it. it but so within i so i use a lot of narrative therapy and a lot of that is reauthoring your story and because i'm a huge old nerd i use a lot of metaphors in that process and one of my goals um, in the narrative world is to help um externalize the narrative beyond of ourselves so so often like we use externalizing language a lot in general but like um like the anxiety in the room with me versus like i'm anxious or like the anxiety that i'm like we externalize that that language mm -hmm. um but then also kind of taking ownership of our story as well and uh so often uh in our language we've had people like write our story for us so like they told us we're stupid they told us we're not worth it we're told us we're not good enough and we no longer kind of feel like the hero of our story and uh, when we look at the hero's journey like narratively from the literature point of view so often the classic heroes kind of have this awakening moment where they were just the average person that life was happening to and then all of a sudden they kind of get thrust into a world where they become the hero and they're, you know, taking a part of their story and they're taking agency and decision-making and choices within their story. And I always say that in the therapeutic world, the call for adventure was when you called for therapy um, and you made that initial like, hey, I wanna, I wanna do something different with my life and I wanna explore these different things. And what I do with my clients is actually take one of their favorite franchisable things and we map out the hero's journey. So I've done this with clients with like Star Wars and Harry Potter. And I think I've done it with like Hunger Games before, but like a lot of the different classic ones that come up. Um, and what's great about this from a professional point of view is I don't have to be the expert of that franchise because they're telling me the answers to these questions and how they interpret these characters' heroes' journeys. And we talk about like, okay, cool. So you have this call for an adventure and we get some kind of supernatural aid. So, you know, haha, therapist, woo, um, mental health aid. But then we start beginning this transformation process. And during the initial stages of this process is we have to look for our mentors and helpers. So we have Ben Kenobi and Luke and Leia and Chewbacca and Yoda and start identifying those people in our life. And on the other side of it as well, who is our Emperor Palpatine? Who is our Darth Vader's? Who are our Jar Jar Binks? Who are these people in our life, right? That we can either identify as and use language for the people who 
are telling us we're not worth it, who are telling us that we aren't the chosen one, that we aren't the hero of our story, that maybe we're just a character in their story and that they can manipulate us how they want or whatever it looks like. And then um, on the other side, who are our helpers? Who are the people in our life that we can call and get help when needed? Because that's the only way we can go through trials and tribulations. So often we think we have to go those alone and that we just have to figure it out on our own. But what we know about trauma and anxiety and depression is we learn a narrative that we're not meant to have this help and we isolate ourselves as a protective thing. Because if we did reach out and they said, no, it would hurt more. So I'm going to isolate first. The next part, and this is, I think, the the fun part of the hero's journey is so often people are like, well, I'm coming into therapy. Like I'm rewriting this things. Things aren't getting better. Well, yeah, because in the hero's journey, you got to go through the trials and tribulations, all the different challenges before we can get to that return, before we can get to be the hero. And I've had clients who really, um, like Harry Potter really speaks to them, go, so you mean, am I just like in that camping scene? I'm like, yes, we are in the camping scene where you are just stuck camping for a little bit, but there are things that we can still learn and do and challenge ourselves. And those are the moments that we really get to shine as a hero. So for her, you know, identifying what was that moment? What was that call to adventure? And how, who are our mentors? Who are our helpers? And what challenges are we going through right now? And what, what are the tools that we need to get through those challenges? So for instance, with a client that I've worked with, we talked about how they, they love Star Wars and they liked the imagery of Ray letting go of, I think it's Ray letting go of the lightsaber and Kylo catching it or vice versa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you have to trust to let go of the lightsaber in hopes that someone will catch it, even though you can't see them. And in moments, trusting yourself to let go of the lightsaber and catching it later. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of cool imagery you can do with the hero's journey and that transformational process and realizing it's a circle and that it doesn't end and that we'll always be kind of going on our own adventures and have different challenges through our life um, and kind of leveling up in the process there I don't know go. if that answers your question but it, it does it no does thank you yeah that works for me <laughs> All right. And so then the other question, of course, as always, what made you choose Charlie? Really cool. She's a really cool kick-ass character who doesn't, who doesn't care about what others think most of the time, but she does. And I think that's a beautiful representation of how like us as women kind of have to navigate through life sometimes with this facade of like, we don't care what other people think, but we also really do care what other people think Mm -hmm. because we're human and we have feelings. Um, And I love that she is so often unapologetically her and she's brave and strong and still has feelings and calls the boys out on their bullshit um and she is that cool example of i was just the average person who got thrust into the world of this of the supernatural um and yeah but it's it's nice talking about female characters as a female and seeing like their growth and arc and uh, giving giving some space for that. There you go. Well, thank you very much. And thank you all for listening to part one. We'll be back after a short break with part two.
Hey y'all, this is Jennifer. We wanted to reach out and let you all know that we are on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stories with Shrinks and on Twitter, Shrink Stories. We post before episodes, little sneak peeks about what we're talking about and trying to engage more with our community about the topic. You can find that and join the story with us online. Welcome back to Stories with Shrinks where we are in the world of supernatural we are riding in the impala with dean and sam hunting things and tyler i do believe you have a new client i do uh my client is in there in his mid to late 40s uh white european american cisgender male heterosexual and uh his job is a hunter so funnily enough, uh, how I got this gig, uh, unlike your your uh, your character case conceptualization, I I was uh, I was haunted by something or <laughs> cursed by something, what what have you, uh, and I had hunters help me out and free me of the thing, and they figured out, hey, you're a mental health professional, and this is a really difficult job. <laughs> Turns out, maybe we should have somebody the that can talk to us the about hunters? this stuff. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that is how I'm characterizing myself. I am the therapist for people who are the, who are hunters. And through that, I have been referred to Bobby Singer, uh, who is a, a hunter in, you know, as I said, his mid to late forties, um, who is coming in just with the stress of coping with this very stressful job. Uh, and it's a job that requires one to um, harden themselves. And I think that there is, a good parallel to some of the careers and stuff in our world outside of this. And we'll get to that later, but to talk to him about like, what does it mean to be in this kind of job where you have to set aside your emotions often, uh, often literally in order to not trigger more supernatural events and things, you have to set aside your emotions and remain calm and remain neutral, remain clear headed so that you don't, you know, die doing this job. And what does that look like in somebody who's been doing it for, you know, 20, 30 years? Uh, and so that's what we've got here with Bobby of just talking him through what does he do to cope with this stuff? Uh, and is it healthy coping? I think is the other thing, you know, where, where does he sort of take the, you know, this lifestyle of going around and, exercising demons and all this stuff and having to feel like you need to be prepared all the time. When does he give himself space to not do that, to step away from that, to take a vacation? And I think the big thing with Bobby is he doesn't. <laughs> um, that's kind of his whole thing. He is one of, he, especially when we first meet him, he is like this uncle figure to Dean and Sam who is very paranoid, has a panic room, has a devil trap in like the, into the front entrance of his house, like has all of this stuff prepared for when things go bad. And talking to him about that sort of way of living, that mindset of living. And I often will talk to clients. It's like, uh, this is a nerd reference that I'll use. It's like the, the Ben Franklin gl glasses in National Treasure, right? Mm -hmm. You've got these glasses and these little lenses that can pop in. And depending on the lenses that you have down, it changes what you're able to see. And that's kind of what mindset does for our lives or the narratives that we tell, the stories we tell due to our lives. And so Bobby is living in this story of, 
I have to always be prepared. There's danger around every corner. Things are coming after me. And it's like, when do you get to have a lowered cortisol level, my friend, uh, which for those that don't know, cortisol is, this, is a stress hormone. And talking him through that and what that would look like, what that would mean, because, you know, for people that I see in our world that are stressed out by their job, oftentimes I'll recommend maybe, hey, figuring out a time where you could take some time off. Um, for Bobby, that's a little weird because, well, if he is being hunted down by supernatural entities, they're going to find him no matter if he's on a beach somewhere or if he's in his house somewhere. So figuring out a way for him to find relaxation without necessarily going to that idea of like, you have to take a vacation from your job or whatever. And I would focus on what are the things that he enjoys? What are the things that he likes that are healthy? Where can he throw some of this energy? Where can he get some support? Uh, and that goes to the narrative of family for him. And uh, as we've done previously, this is more of a, just a jumble of Bobby over the first four seasons of the show or so, not necessarily a particular point, but over time he develops this fatherly, uncle relationship with Dean and Sam. And he very clearly states multiple times that family is not you know, limited to those you are blood related to and asking him about, you know, what does that mean for you? How are, how is this family that you're building around you a protective thing? How is it a thing that helps you to feel okay? Or does it just stress you out because Sam and Dean keep going off and doing highly dangerous things. And he's, you know, sitting there going, these freaking kids like they keep getting into trouble. Is it a stressful thing or a protective thing? And if it's a stressful thing, can we turn it into a protective thing? Uh, because with a client, you can't necessarily change the dynamics of their life, right? Like you can't change what their job is. You can't change what they, what they do in their off time. That's stuff that they have to figure out for themselves. But you can change how they look at it, how they think about it, and what this stuff all means for him so far. And that is the, uh, the final bullet I have for him, which is meaning making of life so far. Yeah, he's in his mid to late 40s, which is typically not the life stage where meaning making happens in our world, because that stuff typically is reserved for later in life, uh, you know, your 70s, your 80s. However, Bobby is a, is a person who's in a field where people don't really live past the age of like 45. Um, and so he is an old timer in this community of hunters, even though He's really, you know, middle-aged basically for the rest of us. But in this community, he's considered an old timer and he doesn't necessarily have the privilege of uh, waiting until he's older to make meaning of his life. This is very much a job in which you could go in one day and not come back out the next. Uh, and talking to him about what meaning making looks like for him. What have you done in your life that you really enjoyed? Do you have anything that you regretted? Uh, and I actually, I would take from, uh, this is actually technically a Buddhist uh, learning, but I got it from the book Tuesdays with Maury, which I highly recommend if you haven't read. It's a book all about grief and death and dying, and it's great. And also I cried a lot. Uh, I'm still reading it. I'm not quite done yet, but I'm making my way through it. But one of the things is four questions to ask yourself at the beginning of the day, which is, is today the day I die? Am I ready to die today? Am I doing all that I need to do? Am I being the person I need to be? You know, those things of like, 
meaning making for your life, especially if you're working a career where you don't know if you're going to come, come back home one day. Right. And so incorporating this as a part of our therapy together, right. Is today the day that I die, Bobby? And he's like, no, not today. Probably not. I'm just coming to see you for therapy. So yeah, probably not. Cool. Are you ready to die today? If that be- it becomes the case, is this a day where you would be ready for that to happen? Yes or no. And let's explore that. Are you doing all that you feel you need to do? Or are there things in your life that are missing at the moment? And what can we do there? And then finally, am I being the person that I would most like to be? Big question. But also, what does that mean for you? Does that mean, you know, being the lead of this like little hunter family for a little while and keeping other people safe? What does that keeping other people safe look like now that you're getting too old to go on to hunts all the time, right? Like, how do you reconcile aging and living with this very dangerous job and not steer away from the existential fear of I could die tomorrow when in reality we all could, right? And so getting into this existential place with him, not to scare him, not to make him afraid, but to, you know, get him talking about what life is like, the meaning of his life so far, if he were to go tomorrow, what would he want the world to think of him? All of these things so that he can build a life that has meaning for him. And it doesn't necessarily require him to do deep emotional soul scraping work with me, which I don't think you would do either, which is also the other thing here of talking about Bobby as just a man in a very, uh, you know, very protect your emotions kind of field. I don't know if deep emotional work is going to necessarily be the thing that he wants to do. Um, So instead it would be this practical stuff of like, you know, what is the meaning that you've made in your life so far and kind of tricking him into talking about feelings through that of like, let's just go through it in a way so that you feel okay going out into the field or going out and talking and doing all those things that you need to do. And that would be my work with Bobby. Absolutely. No, I think that that bit of like, Bobby, it may not be like legitimately a ghost or a vampire that will kill you. Dude, you could just have a heart attack because you're so stressed out and probably eat like shit. And (laughs) you're drinking and smoking and probably not living like the healthiest lifestyle. (laughs) Yeah, for real. (laughs) So, you know, having that moment of like your, your, your stress levels because of your job could actually be more harmful than your job at times so yeah but thank you for that and why bobby yeah so my first note is coping with a job that requires you to harden yourself mm-hmm. and while in supernatural obviously it's taken to an extreme with who hunters are and what they do it's something that happens in our world frequently yeah um Amongst people who are in caretaking fields, amongst people who are in, you know, some of the blue collar working fields, um, this idea of I have a job where I could go in and I'm, I may not come home, mm-hmm. right? What does that do to a person? It's going to make you stressed out. It's going to make you think in things existentially, or you're going to go the opposite direction and completely try to dissociate from this experience. But Bobby doesn't strike me as somebody who's doing that. Mm-hmm. So Instead, it's more so like, a, okay, how are we coping? How are we doing this? How are we living with the reality of this situation? And also continuing to move forward. Is there a way where we can get to a healthy mindset with death and dying and what that means? Because yeah, it's not rare for people to die just doing this job. Right. And that can apply to 
you know, people who are working in mines, people who are working on oil rigs, people mm-hmm. who are doing, you know, some of that, like crab fishing in Alaska, mm-hmm. you know, that's where like, my brain went. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. These like extremely we... dangerous jobs that re- that are quote unquote required by our society to keep mm-hmm. going. I mean, there's some, there's, I mean, each of these very dangerous jobs is like, is this really necessary other than to, you know, for the people who are doing them? Yes. Cause they need money and they need, mm-hmm. you know, security, but for the, for society as a whole, do we really need to keep mining coal? Can we not find cleaner ways to get energy? Mm-hmm. You know, things like that, but truly, you know, there are jobs and, it's starting to spread to other fields. You know, there are people now who are teachers who may not know if they're going to get home at the end of the day. Right. When your average teacher training also includes how to barricade your Mm -hmm. classrooms and what shelving is bulletproof and what's not. Yeah. It's insane. Yes. Absolutely. And so it's this idea of like, there are so many people now being affected by this idea of like, I wouldn't be able to, I, maybe I won't come home. And I think that this also was a, uh, a great fear and a reason we supported our medical professionals throughout the beginnings of the pandemic, where it was like, they could get sick and die just as easily as anyone else, but they're still there doing their job and, you know, doing what they need to do. So I think for me, that's where this main narrative of working with Bobby was coming from that very real place, which is not something we've talked about before. And with all that said, if you are or have family members that are in a job that is life-threatening from one degree to the next, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for doing that job. Yeah, thank you so much. It's not easy. And I think there's conversations from like the physical threats. So like, I know I talk to clients even about like having to emotionally shut down so that they don't take that emotional burden home of what their jobs require them to do. And it comes in all shapes and uh, sizes, but you know, be, and this will tie it into the Thanksgiving's bit of November. Like we have so much that we can be thankful for each day and Mm -hmm. so much we can be grateful for and finding those opportunities to say thank you and to show gratitude to the people in our lives who do these things for us from any degree. So. Absolutely. Yeah. If you have a job that's life-threatening in any way, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Well, with all that, Tyler, thank you. Thank you, Jen. And thank you all for listening. Till next time, y'all. Bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye. Stories with Shrinks is an entertainment and education podcast. Our views are our own and should not be considered canon or associated with any of the media or universes we discuss. And thank you to Purple Planet Music for our theme song, Phoenix Rising. You can find music for all your podcasting or YouTube needs at www.purple-planet.com.